Here's a little heads up for our non-Spanish speaking podcast friends. This podcast is recorded in Spanglish. So please grab you a friend that speaks Spanish, have them translate for you, buy them a coffee, say thank you, and enjoy the show. Cafe Fuerte season cuatro. I can't even believe that this podcast has made it to the fourth season, but I am so grateful and so happy. Big shout out to Sociedad, to Christian Martyr. So we are here, Cafe Fuerte season four, and my very first guest for the season is Raisa Rodriguez Torres, who is a social worker. She has done some really dope work here and in Puerto Rico. And we're here to talk about that and just a little bit about mental health in Puerto Rico and also in the United States, too, but just mostly for Latinx people. So we are here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm both born and raised in Puerto Rico. Forever Island girl. <laughs> um, I moved here actually not that long ago, um, last January after the hurricane. So it's been quite a wild ride. We're here now. Varias víctimas mortales de un tiroteo ocurrido anoche en un edificio del vecindario de Río Piedras, en la capital de Puerto Rico. The topic of mental health in Puerto Rico has been heavy on my heart since the United States gave the Fiscal Control Board power over Puerto Rico. I think it was very clear the message that they were trying to send to young people. It affected all people, but specifically young people, when they closed down schools, hospitals, and lowered the minimum wage to $5.08. When a system is put in place, where people are uneducated, underpaid as young adults, have limited access to health services. Those same people can't survive, let alone thrive. 13 years in a recession, I really don't know who would be okay. Here's Raisa Rodriguez talking about mental health in Puerto Rico and the violence amongst our young people today. Yo creo que hay que hablar de, de los tipos de violencia, ¿verdad? Porque sí, definitivamente se necesita un poquito, se necesita más educación, no un poquito, se necesita más educación eh, que vaya dirigida a la perspectiva de género. Hace falta que en lugar de encarcelar a nuestros agresores y transgresores por siempre, nos sentemos y, y ¿verdad? tengamos procesos de deconstrucción y educación también. Eh, pero el, la, la, la cuestión económica en el país tiene que ver mucho con otros tipos de violencia también, ¿verdad? Este, especialmente por cómo perdemos tantos jóvenes eh, al año, porque nos estamos perdiendo a, nuestro, a, a las personas que se identifican como hombres, las estamos perdiendo sí. a la violencia ya sea por narcotráfico o a la violencia o cualquier cosa que el Estado considere que está fuera de ley, ¿no? Pero hay que considerar la economía en Puerto Rico también. No tenemos un mercado laboral que le ofrece un salario competitivo a nadie. Eso todo el mundo va a buscar cómo ganarse el peso, ¿no? Este, que hay una violencia que está envuelta, sí, porque pues se crean unos bailos 
en la comunidad, que se crean unos bailos en la calle, etcétera. Sí, definitivamente, pero el estado colonial y nuestro estado económico que cada día de, o sea, está más en, en, de, en declive, pues afecta el problema también. ¿Es un problema de educación? Claro que sí, We podemos tener un aspecto de la educación, tiene un aspecto muy importante, pero también hay una cuestión económica, este... De, ¿verdad? De, de la economía de Puerto Rico en general, ahora mismo y cómo el mercado laboral se está moviendo, que tiene que ver mucho en, en estas situaciones. Sí, and I also want to adjust the fact that a lot of people think that because there's a trap movement in Puerto Rico, that that's what's causing the violence and not the poverty that's happening in Puerto Rico right now. I mean, that's always been like... That's always been a stereotype around music. Yeah. When salsa was how to speak, everyone was a periquero, right? Yeah. But now that trap and reggaeton has been on his speak, everybody is fucking dealing drugs, todo el mundo está tirando droga, todo el mundo maleante. Those are stereotypes that we build because of the lyrics, what the lyrics are saying, right? Um, but, you know, kids listen to this too, and it's important to have the conversation with the kids. It's like, I love that you like Anuel, but let's also... Talk about the lyrics and talk about what's real and what's not real. And you can keep listening to Anuel all that you want, but with a perspective of reality, right? right. And most importantly, like, trap, it's not the root of violence. <laughs> <laughs> like, reggaeton, regga el reggaeton, el trap, lo que sea, ¿verdad? So this is a stereotype that's been long around the block, and it's a over, you know, it's It's people trying to simplify what violence in the streets is right now. People not wanting to talk about how the economic thing really factors in violence in community. People not talking about how brown and black kids don't have the same opportunities and they have to look it out for themselves and their families. How every kid has a different story. Every kid has a different responsibility in their household. I mean, trap is just going to be trap. <laughs> what would be your evaluation of what's happening in Puerto Rico right now in terms of mental health? I mean, I think the access to services has been pretty bad since before the hurricane. Of course, the state of the hurricane and the things we lived through the hurricane and recovering from it, they definitely put a little bit more fire to it, like, right? Um but I think it's been long overdue to talk about access and mental health services. Um, and also, you know, we, as a colony, have adopted a lot of stereotypes through mental health Has the United States. We see mental health has a detached part of our physical health. We go to a primary care physician, but it takes us so much to walk into a therapist's office and it's because we have built stereotypes towards that right but it's also because when we have had access to those services in puerto rico they do not meet our standards so it's it's like it's a lot of factors going in through one um it is also very important to say that over a million people right now are being, have the state um, health care. Lo que nosotros llamamos la reforma de salud, right? Which is like um, the Blasio's health care plan. Let's just put it that way to, to compare it to New York. Um, and that's more than 50% of the population, right? So there's not enough services out there right now for everyone. And the services that are available, they don't necessarily meet everyone's needs and expectations. I mean, what can you do in a 30-minute session with a therapist? Casi um, nada. 
That's the introduction right there. Exacto, exacto. So yo, históricamente los cambios a la reforma de salud y los cambios en nuestro sistema de salud eh, han deteriorado mucho el acceso a servicios, específicamente servicios de, de salud mental. Y, por ejemplo, la, las instituciones residenciales para personas con condiciones de salud mental crónica no dan abasto. Tienen listas de esperas que pueden ser de años ahora mismo. Entonces, no, no tenemos, tenemos mucha demanda y no tenemos eh, muchos servicios. Eh, tenemos los profesionales allá afuera, pero tampoco se les está pagando eh, lo suficiente, ¿verdad? Eh, eh, y yo creo que, que eso añade mucho leña a, a, el, a la situación de la salud mental en, en Puerto Rico. Y el hecho de que un 50% de la población depende exclusivamente de, de la reforma para accesar a servicios, deja mucho que decir. Este, particularmente porque sabemos que bajo la reforma nueva... Sí, tú tienes la libertad de escoger el plan médico que quieras coger, pero nadie te dice que tu médico primario, si tú vives en Bayamón, por ejemplo, que es un pueblo en el norte, tu médico primario va a estar quizá en Carolina o en Canovanas. Entonces, si tú eres una persona de 75 años o más que no guía, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vas a coger cuatro guaguas, cuatro, four buses on a day just to get to your primary care physician. And this is me just stretching a little bit what's going on, right? Sí, yeah. Um, but it, it is what it is. I think that we saw with Maria that they're not going to help. Even if they have the means, they won't help. And they'll throw paper towel at you and be like, look. And mm -hmm. then like they'll send tanks over a military and make it like literally martial law, but not have any real support there. And like FEMA will give boxes of Skittles and, and fucking Cheez-Its in a box with, with one bottle of water for a family of six and be like, oh, but we, we extended, you know, our, our help. And you're like... Well, it's the nature of colonialism. Yeah. The empire doesn't serve us. We serve the empire. Yeah. And it yeah. caused our lives, our well-beings, years of what could have been economically, you know, a success, um, development in every um, sphere of life. It's, it's what comes down to. Yeah. Peace is Christian Martir from Sociedad. You know, I'm, I'm far from an expert, um, but I just want to share my perspective on mental health in Puerto Rico. Um, when it comes to mental health uh, in Puerto Rico, I think it's super important to remember the fact that we're talking about the people who've been colonized for over 500 years, right? Um, and although that sounds cliche at this point and easy to say, I don't think most people fully understand the weight of that. You know, colonialism relies on its ability to completely break down the people in order to conquer them. This has been going on in Puerto Rico for over 500 years, right? So it's about 14 generations. Um, some within our DNA at this point. You know, but then more recently, um, when we talk about Puerto Rico, we have to consider the historical devastation that's caused so much pain and uncertainty to the island. You know, starting with the so-called debt crisis, um, to Maria and other earthquakes. Any one of these traumatic experiences would have definitely disordered weaker people. Um, yet somehow Puerto Ricans seem to adapt and continue forward. You know, palante, we say. Um, but at what cost, right? So when we see the side effects of this and the fact that although we seemingly power through these traumatic experiences, we're constantly seeking refuge in both the good and the bad. The bad, um, and you know, for example, the continuations of toxic relationship with the U.S. Um, and also in 
alcoholism and drugs, right? Um, however, I would argue that, you know, what's been our most constant refuge um, is our culture, right? So we find in it, you know, the sanctuary and the peace that we are all seeking. So let's talk a little bit about the history of mental health in Puerto Rico. Um, so we actually have what it was baptized as the Arbona system because Dr. Ricardo Arbona actually built it up. And it was a system of, like, it was a, a public health system built in levels, right? And levels of care, which is what it's supposed to happen because we're trying to deal with um, prevention and we're also trying not to send everyone to the emergency room if they don't need to. Um, so just imagine the city MDs here in New York. A lot of those city MDs were placed and they were called Unidades de Salud Pública. Y estaban en distintos pueblos. So they will do an evaluation, right? And they will say, oh, okay, like we can, we can give you services here. Maybe what you have is the flu. So we're going to get you whatever medicine we're going to get you and you're going to go home. And it, it, it didn't affect it. It didn't, it didn't have to bring the person to an actual hospital, right? It was a level one prevention, or we can say even a little bit of level two prevention. Um, and at some point, um, beginning, I think the end, mid 80s and the beginning of the 90s, La Unidad de Salud Pública y el Sistema Arbona, they were really struggling with funding because it was all local government founding and it was an excellent and like public health model recognized worldwide. Um, and then the problem began by politicians saying, oh, but this doesn't work because they're not, you know, enfermeras are not being paid, doctores are not being paid. Um, so they ended up privatizing it while what they had actually needed to be doing is just giving it more funding so they can actually have a better pay, they can have better resources for a system that it was actually working. But I think it has a lot to do with the corruption in Puerto Rico, right? And the way that they're of mismanaging course. funds. Of course, because it was, you know, it was under Rosselló, so they're trying, you know, he represents a political party that favors statehood, and they're going to copy whatever is happening in the United States to make us look has more has a colony has we want or how much as a state has they wanted and what was happening in the united states at the moment it was like healthcare plans were really out there so he ended up selling everything and the government went from being a provider to being a facilitator so we will pay private health care plans to sustain our public health care um business a lot of pueblos, what they did is that they assumed, they bought the CDTs and they assumed los CDT, and they assumed the cost of it and the maintenance of it, but that was not sustainable for long because it's a lot para el presupuesto de los municipios. So that's the system we've been having the last, I think, what Rosselló did this in the 95, so we're talking about um, 20-something years now, right? Um, 21 years, 22 years. Um, and it's been awful. And I think in the most, like in this grand scheme of things, this has played an important role in the poor access we have to mental health services. And also we need to think about the mental, historically in Puerto Rico, mental health services started with something that was called Asilo de Beneficencia, which is a still a very beautiful building in the Viejo San Juan. And when you go back and read those transcripts, um, People were called crazies. 
People were placed in um, jaulas that they had mental disturbances. That was the concept, the initial concept of mental health in Puerto Rico. So just be mindful that we're coming from that. What year was that? We're talking about 1904, 1940, that the Asilo is starting really, you know, like shifting into a really mental health institution, most likely like an institution where the government placed everyone that was out of the norm, and I'm er quoting, um, they used to be placed there. People that had jail sentences, children with mental illness, um, women that were um, widows or women that were unmarried. Um, so it was it was a very controversial institution um, until it got its own reforms. Um, so that's where really the grand scheme of mental health was born in PR. And we're coming down from that. So we're coming down of generations of stereotypes where people with chronic mental health illnesses were placed in, in jaulitas, in cages. So it's, it's very interesting to look at the history perspective of it to understand how we build the stereotypes um, regarding mental health and also understand how the how privatizing the public health sector has really played a role into how we manage mental health clinics, how, who we license to be mental health providers, and how that's moving along. I think... And most and most of the most of the ways healthcare plans have prioritized um, farmacia, todo lo que es la psicofarmacia o lo que en salud pública se le llama la polifarmacia, que es la sobre recetación de medicamento este psiquiátrico. And we have given a little, a little, 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 little importance to what um, the psychotherapy relationship is. I cannot have someone medicated for anxiety if I don't have him in therapy, because how are we gonna cope with anxiety? How are we gonna learn other types of way to deal with it, right? Um, so we have given it, I think, a, a, a healthcare plans have built their empire. They have prioritized um, psychotropic medication because it's the easiest thing to do, and they leave them a lot of money, and we have given less priority to psychotherapy. Que la que hay, mis amores. Let's take a little break from the show right now to talk about Ether Wellness. Ether Wellness offers a variety of essential oils ranging from wild orange, which has energizing properties to help you either start or restart your day, Lavender, which is great to help you get a good night's sleep. Or my personal favorite, peppermint, which is good for headaches and nausea. Just put a couple dabs of it on your wrist, in your diffuser, or in your shower to bring your shower game up to a whole nother level. Head to etherwellness.com right now and use the promo code CAFEFUERTE for 10% off. That's A-E-T-H-E-R, wellness.com. And with the promo code Cafe Fuerte, you'll get 10% off today. Hola, eh, mi nombre es Adelaide Liverpool Castro. Eh, voy a comenzar con decir que la salud mental en Puerto Rico pues, es un tema bien delicado. Y se mencionó mucho en la isla luego del paso del huracán María, que como todos sabemos pues fue devastador. Y pues ahora con esta nueva catástrofe que está ocurriendo, los temblores, los terremotos, eh, vuelve a colación este tema. 
nuestros compatriotas en el sur eh, están pasando por una situación bien difícil. Y yo sé que es fácil decirle a ellos, eh, mantengan la calma, tomen precauciones, hagan la mochilita, eh, muévanse a un refugio, ¿verdad? Si su lugar, si su hogar no es seguro. Pero la verdad, la realidad es que para estos puertorriqueños que están en el sur de la isla, eh, la realidad es otra, completamente diferente. Y debe ser, debe ser una pesadilla el no tener una guía confiable. Pedirle a las personas que dejen sus vidas, sus trabajos, sus familias, sus amigos, es, eh, suena bien imposible, bien inconcebible. Eh, ¿Cómo ellos van a volver a la normalidad así? ¿Cómo van a volver a sus vidas cotidianas? Eh, <ríe> ni yo misma sé lo que yo haría en, en esta situación, si soy bien honesta. Yo puedo decir que para, puedo ¿verdad? recomendar que para mantener la calma de la manera que se pueda dentro de la situación de emergencia, eh, es hablar con un profesional de la salud. Hay psicólogos, terapistas, psiquiatras, eh, a la mejor disposición de ayudar. Hay líneas dedicadas a estas emergencias. Por favor, explíquenles a los niños que ellos sepan y comprendan lo que está sucediendo. Porque ya sí, la situación es difícil para un adulto, imagínense para un niñito. No abandonen a su mascota. Yo estoy completamente segura que el jugar con el perrito y el gatito tiene que ser terapéutico. Eso tiene que ayudarte a distraer la mente, a pensar en otras cosas, a reírte un ratito. Y hay que escuchar a los expertos. Sígalos en las redes sociales, en televisión, en la radio. Recuerden que estas personas han dedicado su vida al estudio de estos sismos y son los mejores para guiarnos por, por el camino más seguro. Hay que confiar en ellos. Y quiero decir algo, antes de terminar, que me llena el corazón de orgullo. Y es la ayuda que se está dando de ciudadano a ciudadano. A ciudadano. Las caravanas diarias que están bajando con suministros. Tengo tantas amistades que se han movilizado y han organizado ayudas, actividades, servicios. Es importante que todos los que están allá abajo sepan que el país está con ustedes. Nosotros desde afuera estamos con ustedes. Y aunque no podamos estar físicamente allí, estamos apoyándolo ya sea con artículos, dinero. Eh, pero sobre todo estamos pendientes para desbordar la vida por ustedes si es necesario. Y recuerden que como comenzó a temblar un día, también va a parar. Y vamos a poder mirar atrás con satisfacción que se hizo lo mejor que se pudo. Que nos unimos como un solo pueblo y salimos adelante. So, traten de volver el día a día de la a la rutina lo mejor que se pueda. Con cautela, pero tratando de asimilar la, norma la normalidad de sus vidas. Los veriguas somos fuertes y si nuestros abuelos salieron de esto, nosotros también. Los quiero. What made you choose a career in social work? I don't, I, I've never known how to answer that question, really. Um, I guess it was my first choice when I enrolled in college. And once I was in La Yupi, I really fell in love with the profession. And I really fell in love with what it stands for and the work we can do and how versatile, you know, social workers are. Um, I have worked in different scenarios. I have worked in community. I have worked with individuals, with groups. So it, it's been a diverse background. Um, before coming to New York, yo estaba trabajando en una escuela, Montessori. So Puerto Rico has a couple of Montessori public schools, and they are administered. I mean, they're being administered by um, El Instituto de Nueva Escuela, which is a nonprofit that works directly with the Department of Education. They have a pro very beautiful program that targets trauma in families, and that was where I was working at. 
um, I was a coordinator for one of the schools, and it was amazing. I love my kids. I love the community. I learned a lot, um, and that was where I was before coming here. Eventually, after Hurricane Maria came, it was very rough. Most of my kids lost everything, and if they had not lost everything, they were in a very vulnerable situation. Um, so it was tough. It was, it was a little bit tough, um, and I felt like I needed a change, too, so. The schools out there, you don't think that they felt more obliged to have more people like you working with kids, especially after Hurricane Maria and all that they lost and dealing with their mental health? I mean, they're supposed to. They're supposed to have social workers that are compromised with the community, but I do have to say, it is a very tough job for social workers in public schools in Puerto Rico. Usually, you know, as population grows, um, schools could have two to three social workers, right? But now, with underfunding in the Department of Education, um, you have one social worker for a school that has thousands of kids. So it's, it's a very... It is a very challenging situation. And social work in schools, uh, it's not only about individual practice, it's about community. Because most of our schools are placed in communities, and whatever is going on in the community, you're gonna see reflected in the school. So it's a very challenging work. What are some of the things that you could talk about that you saw over there? In terms of like the kids and what they were going through, maybe just speaking as general as you can. I know mm -hmm. being specific isn't. Well, I was I was not as specifically a school social worker per se. I was the social worker for the program that worked with trauma in the school. It's important for me to make that um, disclaimer. And the social worker from the school I worked from was amazing. She tried to do her best. Um, an amazing colleague. I think um, for most of my kids in the program, since it was trauma-based, there was a lot of um, physical abuse. Um, there was a lot of cases of sexual abuse too. So it, it was it was tough work. Do you find that schools made it enough of a priority while you were there? Well, my school did. Um, Generally speaking, and this was—I'm sorry to interrupt. This was a public school. That yes, they didn't have to teach. That they didn't have to pay for, right? Yeah, like the parents yeah. didn't have to pay so for. So this is this is a Montessori school, right? Um, it's a public school. It goes until high school, from from babies to high school. Um, this is a very one of the schools that has a really good system in place, and they do prioritize mental health for the students and services. Um, so in that, in that sense of matter, I had a really good experience with my colleagues. Um, but I know there, it's different for every school. There's not necessarily the same resources for every school. And it's not the same comparing a school in San Juan to comparing a school in Orocois, or comparing a school in Aguadilla to comparing a school in Humacao, right? Because every, every pueblo has their different needs and every pueblo has a different way. You know, every school runs under a different matter. And it's, a, it's very challenging to like pinpoint what school prioritizes mental health. Um, and in the recent years, I know the Department of Education was not directly hiring psychologists for school. Um, they were subcontracted. So, you know, it's part of the of privatizing services, of course, and that also varies if the school is a very active school, if the school has a very active school director that is going to, you know, ask the department what they really need and put, put themselves out there. 
Um, so it, it really depends. What was some of the stuff that you found most important while working with the kids out there? Like, what were you teaching them to cope with what they were going through? Maybe, like, just a couple examples. I think it was mostly um, safe, safe ways to express whatever we had inside, right? Because most likely when we don't have spaces to safely speak about what happened to us or speak about traumatic experience, we do not engage in a healing process. And that bottles up and then it explodes in different type of things. So that was mostly what I was trying to do. Just build a safe space for them and, and just find... It could be even at times silly ways to just get everything out. I remember my last two weeks of work, um, one of my kids <laughs> told me, a mí sí, pero estas navidades no vamos a poder poner árbol porque no hay luz. And I was like, it's funny because you were talking about crying. I was like in the bathroom crying my eyes out, <laughs> like, get your shit together and go back. Right. Um, and at the next day, I remember stopping at Walgreens and I bought like construction paper and I, was, I bought a lot of things and I had a lot of materials in the school too. I was just buying like complimentary things, glitter and shit. And that week's session, we did Christmas trees. Because I knew they, they, they wanted to have something that really, you know, made them feel like we were actually in the holidays. You know that in Puerto Rico, Christmas is, is a thing. Yeah. It's like Christmas Extremely. till February, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not going to change. You know, that's, we, we can't say, oh, that's not important. No, it is important if kids feel like they can't even celebrate Christmas because they don't have power um, in their homes. So we did Christmas trees and we did a lot of things. And that was a very good way of them releasing um, what was going on. I remember for my, um, for my older kids, um, after the hurricane, my office was in the library. And the library also transforms himself into a classroom because a part of the other side of the building was completely wrecked. So some kids saw my office like a space to sit down and be silent because they didn't have the energy to engage in the classroom. That was really good for a moment of time. I tried different dynamics to break the silence a little bit, but I understood that there were so many overstimulation of whatever what was going on, not only in the community where the school is placed, but within themselves and, you know, they're trying to adapt to their new situation that maybe that was the only time they had to just be silent. Um, and that was very important, too, but it was very heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I think I absorbed a lot of the energy that was going on around my families. Um, and it was very it was very hard to process when you are also trying to recover from a natural disaster and you're out there giving out services um, because you work till 3 p.m. But then after that, you have to go hunt for water and then hunt for batteries and then see where are you going to get, I don't know, a pack of hot dogs because that's the only thing you can make in La Nida. Um, before going home, you know, it was it was a disruption for everyone's life. Right. So what are different forms of therapy that you think that would help people? Again, this podcast is mainly for it's for everybody, but mm -hmm. um, specifically you being a Puerto Rican therapist or a social worker. 
Um, what are some different forms of therapy that people can engage in if they have absolutely no access to any therapy? El bienestar es algo colectivo y a la misma vez es algo individual. Colectivamente, el, el hacer comunidad siempre ha sido el crear comunidad. Siempre ha sido un aspecto bien importante del bienestar. El tú saber que tienes una red de apoyo allá afuera. Sí, yo creo que es importante no en, en la medida en que nuestro estado de ánimo, en la medida en que nuestro estado, ¿verdad? En la medida en que no estamos, el, nuestra mente está en la disposición de estar afuera, crear comunidad. Eh, cuando, cuando tú estás en un estado donde tú no quieres ni, ni hablar contigo mismo, es bien difícil crear comunidad. Entonces, muchas veces el aislarnos nos cohibe de ver un poquito más afuera la red de apoyo que podemos tener. So, yo pienso que, y es, y es algo que yo practico mucho también for my personal wellness, el crear comunidad, el sentir que, que tengo gente con la que puedo distraerme, con la que puedo pasar, con la que puedo contar, pero ellos también pueden contar conmigo, que es una relación recíproca. Y yo creo que es bien importante también, en, en, es, ¿verdad? Yo creo que eso es una esfera colectiva, pero una esfera individual, yo creo que es bien importante hacerse, chequearse a uno mismo, checking with yourself, eh, a lo mejor el sábado por la mañana cuando te estás haciendo el café y no vas a jorar para el trabajo si es que no trabajas el sábado, ¿verdad? Este, sentarte y, y escuchar a tu cuerpo y preguntarte qué es la que hay, como que cómo te sientes. Eh, ah, wow, me siento que estoy burnout y a lo mejor hoy no es el, no es el día para socializar, a lo mejor necesito tiempo para mí. Yo creo que eso son cosas bien importantes para uno mantener un poquito de sanidad. Eh, particularmente en Puerto Rico porque... La esfera, la esfera política ahora mismo en Puerto Rico eh, influye mucho en cómo uno se va a sentir, ¿verdad? Influye mucho en, en las cosas a las que uno va a tener acceso a. Y entonces el, el, el poder hacer cositas en la privacidad de tu hogar y también en la comunidad, uh, at the end of the day, es lo que te ayuda a mantenerte moviéndote, yo creo. Eh, sí. What do you think the solution is right now for mental health in Puerto Rico? I think it, it takes rebuilding the, you know, the public health sector. I think it takes going back to having a system that has more access to the people, that every pueblo has their own unit, that everyone has access to their mental health needs. Um, and also clear communication that it's not happening right now within the new reforma you know, clear explanation of what benefits there are out there. But most likely benefits, I think the government needs to go back to being debt provider instead of a facilitator because we have, has, has estado, como un estado, el estado ha completamente relevado las responsabilidades de mantener la salud pública de Puerto Rico. Yeah. And that's, and that's systemic. If we don't change whatever, whatever the system is right now, we cannot change the little things that are streaming down. Because I can have a nonprofit bill, 10 clinics in different areas of Puerto Rico, but we know that they have limited funding, that that funding is not going to be forever, and I'm not going to start someone in therapy, have, have them build a report, and then four months from now tell them, oh, you know what, now I cannot see you because we have no funds. Yeah. Right? We need to work with whatever is up first. How do you feel about the United States relationship with Puerto Rico as it stands right now? Um, how do I feel about it? Yeah. I mean, in my own personal political views, I don't want Puerto Rico to keep being a colony. Um, I also don't want us to be a state, and I think I said everything there. 
Um, Puerto Rico has the means to be a very developed island, has the means to build their health sector as they want because we produce a lot of professionals. Academia produces a lot of professionals and we have resources out there that little by little we've been getting less of it because of our colonial relationship. Every time people ask me about, we're talking about immigration and we're talking about how, how people move, I always say we have to recognize that right now leaving Puerto Rico is not necessarily a deliberate um, decision you're making. There are a lot of factors that are pushing you in certain ways to live and to afford to live actually and to leave. Um, and that has been an experience for me to validate my own decisions and validate the experiences that I have, you know, that have happened after I moved. Yeah, I think it's just hard for people that don't want to leave or for people that I see that are here that are like, I want to go home. All right, what's going on, everybody? This is Drew from Puerto Rico. Uh, I know a lot of people personally that uh, went to go visit their parents over in Guanica, and their parents are so scared to sleep inside the house that they're camping outside. Even though there's no damage to it, they're just afraid that there's going to be another earthquake that's going to hit, and you know the house is going to collapse on them. So definitely understand right now what people are going through as far as um, trying to keep their mind at ease, you know? I mean, one thing that keeps my mind at ease is just having faith, you know. I know that's not a uh, subject for everybody, but, you know, finding that peace within yourself. You know, finding finding that peace and, and thinking about something that's bigger than yourself, you know. Um, staying active. Um, become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And if you're in the problem yourself, try to find some kind of a, a, a peace within yourself that, you know, this too shall pass and whatever you're going through, you make it with the help of others and, you know, family members, you know, friends and just people out there that just are looking to help. So right now, you know, we're, we're at a crisis on the island where there's a lot of things happening, either from outside or inside, from the government, from, you know, from, from people in leadership, from people that are just being corrupt right now. But um, together, if we stand together, I believe that, you know, we could overcome anything. We've already proven that this past summer. You know, even in the midst of crisis and, and, and corruption, we all stood together and we were able to get it done. So I believe that, you know, if we all come together once more and every single time there's a problem, I believe the Puerto Rican people are probably the strongest people right now on display for the world to see. I mean, everybody saw it. Everybody from the United States to Australia, even Australia right now is, is on the streets protesting. And I attribute a lot of that stuff to what we did. And how we were, we were able to prove that when we come together as a people, we could do a lot. And as far as mental health, I believe we are capable. Our minds are capable of a lot of things. Even healing ourselves emotionally, spiritually, physically. Mind over matter. You know, you got to believe. And um, that's what I think, you know, helps me. Is just having faith and, and believing that uh, this too shall pass. But um, bless up. Blessings to everybody. And uh, keep the faith, stay strong, we will overcome. Yeah.
doblando Y ya Mariana está bordando Hoy es bordando bandera en mis cafetales Ya por todos los lugares Hay los lugares de Cucho, un pueblo que grita 